Hello, everybody. Welcome back to your Heart in the Paint podcast, the NBA podcast, where we ask the hard questions about the NBA. I'm your host, Matt, again, joined by Michael. And on this wonderful March 26th, 2019, we've got some catching up to do in terms of the NBA news. Uh, A lot of recent events have occurred. A lot of substantial games have been played. And the playoff picture is finally starting to be clinched and materialized. So we're going to go over some of that today as, as well. Uh, but before we get started, we would like to give a special shout out to our sponsor of this Heart in the Paint podcast. That is a Red Rocks Park and Amphitheater. So in the wonderful state of Colorado, maybe you're a Denver Nuggets fan, you can go visit the beautiful Red Rocks Park and Amphitheater. Whether you like hiking, uh, wonderful scenic views, or maybe you have a favorite artist that loves to play in their largest outdoor venue in the U.S. Uh, and definitely one of the most historic you too can visit Red Rocks and enjoy such a wonderful night. Uh, and of course, smoke all the weed and drink all of the beer that you want to. Uh, so with that, we'd like to give a special shout out to the Denver Nuggets and Red Rocks for sponsoring this episode of Hard in the Paint podcast. And with that, let's just hop right into the thick of things with Jason Terry joining the big three basketball league. So, uh, it seems to be like once a month now we get an announcement that some vet is joining the big three. Like I think this month is Jason Terry. Last month it was Joe Johnson. And it just kind of keeps going down the list of these like really solid NBA players that are now, you know, 19 years into their career or however long it is. Uh, so I'm actually pretty excited for big three this year. It seems like it's being very legitimized by the fact that yeah this trends almost like a retirement program really for nba players my question to you is do you think vince carter will join the big three will he become a coach for the big three or will he broadcast big three games to get some reps in before they uh poach him over at nba tnt i think vince will go the commentator out you know, he's got that degree from Carolina. He's well-spoken. He would work well with Richard Jefferson on some of their... Uh... Like a degree from Carolina means jack shit. <laughs> hey, it's better than some of these other guys that didn't even go to high school, right? Yeah, GG Aunt Becky. <laughs> no, I think it'd be great, though. I think, you know, we always have this little bit of lull in the summer, especially in, like, non-Olympic years with NBA coverage. Uh and maybe the summer league has really started to kind of come into its own, but there's still that lull from like, you know, July to the end of August where there's really nothing. Um, Which mid two thousands player are you hoping will join the big three between now and the start of the season? It's going to be hard since I don't know the entire roster, (laughs) but what I'm going to say is, uh, Steve Nash, two-time MVP. I was thinking Steve, but he's like doesn't have legs anymore, right? Like, isn't that his thing? Like, he just ah, yeah. But I mean, it's fucking. I was gonna say Paul Pierce, right? But he's got a contract with ESPN, obviously. It's like him, Chauncey, and Jalen have to form like a team. I think Chauncey played a year, didn't he? Or maybe he like coached a year. Yeah, he might have actually. If I could get Paul, KG, and Ray Allen in the big three, 
get him reunited again. I think Ray could totally play in the big three. I mean, he showed it at the All-Star game. Yeah, I was going to say, the All-Star game, he was fucking bossing out, bro. And he fits in with, you know, Al Harrington and Kenyon Martin and, you know, all these other guys kind of from his years. I mean, you got Nate Robinson in there, too, and he's not even half the age of some of these guys. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, the Vegas Summer League is also going to be uh, ramped up this this year. Uh, you got some teams from China and Croatia joining the mix. So uh, my question to you is, do you think the Lakers starting five, uh, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Kyle Kuzma, Josh Hart, and whoever their next lottery pick is, will be able to beat Michael Beasley's China Guangdong Tiger team? I think they can, but only if Jimmer Fredette does not reunite with Michael Beasley in China. Uh, which is Isn't uh, Jimmy Buckets <laughs> signed in Phoenix right now? Yeah, <laughs> that, was, that was my segue. <laughs> so Jimmer Fredette is now a part of the Phoenix Suns on like a 10-day, and he just played, I think they played the Jazz last night, and he was... He shoots him out of the game? He shot himself out of the game. He was uh, one for 10 from the field, uh, minus 25 overall. Uh, Maybe it's a tank commander because Booker had 60. So (laughs) I feel bad for the dude, man, because it's like he was such a good college player and then it just never worked out for him. I don't know. I'm not a big fan of Grace and Allen West. Yeah, but Jimmer was a little more like uh, somewhere between Grace Allen and like JJ Redick. More like Doug McDermott. I feel like Doug McDermott was just always overrated in college, and then he kind of—I mean, he—he's good. Like he's all right, but he's—he hasn't been like the sensational scoring guy that he was in college. And I think Jimmer kind of went the same way. It's crazy because you'll like have these random tune-ins on like, oh, what happened to this person in the NBA that doesn't there anymore? And it's always like Jimmer Fredette or, or is like Danny one of the top. Yeah, or, those, those guys are like some of the top guys that get kind of always put on these things. And then you'll be like, oh, Jimmer Fredette had 50 points in Guangdong versus Zheng Zhao, you know? And then it's like, oh, we had like 46 the night before on like, 12 of 30 shooting or something it's like what the heck and then he comes to the nba and he's like one for 10 and then in college he's like 35 points 10 assists or something it's like what what's going on with this man like i would love a real like nba player to just be like like give me like a paul pierce or someone like really smart about the game be like this jimmer this is your problem like this is why you have never been successful in the nba and this is what has to change like do one of those kobe spotlights on jimmer you know uh i don't know i mean he seems how old is jimmer for that how old is he now like it's been a few years right i think he's like 29 30 something like that yeah like that's probably too old to try and but if he's a shooter, like he's got, he's got uh, yeah, Houston, know, he's got space in the NBA now. Spot um, up on Houston, bro. I mean, as much as I love the Kobe spotlight effect that has impacted Jason Tatum's career up to this point, <laughs> you know, what's the worst it could do to Jimmer? Just like make him borderline unplayable anywhere? Like, uh, I don't know. All right, here I got another question. Then Jason Tatum, would you rather have Jason Tatum? 
or the package of Jalen Brown and Terry Rogier? I will take the package. Oh man, this is crazy. This is. I know, right? If a year ago we would not have said this. All right, so I was watching this Boston Philly game from like a week, week and a half ago, right? And Jason Tatum was basically anonymous through that entire game. I'm really confused. Yeah, this is the worst sophomore year of like any player, right? Like, I mean, it just seems so. There's like nothing fundamental, like, there's nothing mechanically wrong with how he's shooting the ball or like his footwork or like it's almost like he watched too much tape of Andrew Wiggins and was like, I want to be that guy. I want Andrew Wiggins because he's got that massive ass contract. So if I play like him, I can get that kind of money. It's so weird because then you'll be like once a month, you'll have like the Jason Tatum game where he's like 25 on like 10 of 11 shooting. And it looks like he's, the closer that everybody wants him to be and, you know, getting defensive stops and driving to the hoop and everything. But then it's like, you know, you'll get this weird dry spell of, I'm going to take 15 foot jumpers and not really attack my man, not really get to the rim. Like I, like I've proven that I can do at least last year I did. So I don't like everybody wants to point to the Kobe spotlight effect, which I think is hilarious. Um, I, I just it doesn't make any sense it's almost like i don't want to be a conspiracy bill here but maybe he's got some kind of like nagging injury or something that nobody wants to talk about maybe it's it's almost like jason tatum and gordon hayward are both suffering from the injury rehab year because they're both basically out of it i mean you need one of those guys to kind of show up and I don't, like they don't even com- they don't complement each other. They're if they're both on the court at the same time, it's just a rough lineup. Yeah, it seems so weird. Like this, I, those two guys should be able to play off each other really easily. They're both off the ball kind of guys. Yeah, and they're none. Of, neither of them are like you know, like you know the Kyrie Irving. Like you said, they aren't going to take the ball, take fifteen dribbles. You know, they're gonna they're gonna do an off ball screen. They're gonna cut. They're gonna get an open corner three somehow. Yeah, you know, like really solid playoff fundamental pieces that you think would be just kind of plug and play anywhere. But now you're really concerned about what's Jason Tatum's value. I mean, I just said I'd take Terry Rozier and Jalen Brown over him as a package. Like this is the number three pick that fleeced philly supposedly last year now this year i mean that's a kind of almost up for debate again it's like <laughs> is markel fultz really worse than jason tatum now okay come on dude it's not even <laughs> all right i'm not, that's my Stephen a hot take of the day <laughs> sponsored by uh first take do you think the the sixers are missing landry chamette yeah, a little bit actually. So, so what you noticed here in this Boston Philly game, and this is kind of what we've—I've kind of said pretty much with Philly this whole year, really—is any elite point guard or even sub-elite point guard just has a field day against Philly. They just don't have a great matchup. 
uh and it's mostly just the size and the speed and no knock on like jimmy butler or some of those other guys but it's like you know who are you putting on Kyrie? you know you're gonna put simmons or butler Kyrie's good enough to get around both of them even someone like rogier it's like who are you gonna put on him like reddick or butler it's like you don't want to put butler on that guy you, you gotta hide reddick on defense most of the time and that's pretty bad when you're scared of rogier being a playmaker when he's like your third point guard i mean look at some of these other just just if you look at the numbers throughout the year philly's point guard defense you'll notice any point guard that plays against them has like much higher numbers than their like past two games and it's just how it is it's that's their hole like they can stop the plethora of small forward ball and centers but their point guard penetration is their weakness i guess Jimmy Butler hit the game, not, I don't know if it was game winning, but I guess the go-ahead basket to win the game. Is he basically just the closer for Philly? Because I think 15 out of his 22 points were in the fourth quarter, so he had a pretty quiet game, and then last eight minutes he was just like, give me the damn ball, I'll take care of this. Yeah, and, and this is something we've seen throughout the ever since they got him, really. Is it's almost like everybody got the memo that Jimmy's getting the ball the last five minutes of the game, no matter what happens, and it's just like clear out for him. Because at the time we were all like, "Oh, Philly needs that sort of perimeter isolation threat." You know, they didn't have it because it was Reddick and Simmons and Sarich and Covington at the time, which none of those guys you really want like isoed on the wing, and with ten seconds left, it's, it's like that's what jimmy came to do and then they got tobias harris for some reason who i feel like could almost do the same thing which was kind of weird to me but then you'll see like the first three quarters of the game jimmy's just like ice cold in all these games it's almost like he's not even on the floor for the first three quarters of the game if you're the sixers or a sixers fan would you rather have jimmy butler or would you still rather have the package of roco and super dario I don't know, man. Knowing this is a tough Tobias. one. So you have Tobias Harris, Embiid, Ben Simmons, Reddick, uh, Roko, Saric, uh, Mike Scott. Basically, you just undo the Butler trade. This is a tough one for me because you got so much emotional baggage with Butler, it seems like. It seems like every other week we're talking about some problem with the Philly chemistry, and it usually revolves around him, right? Uh, but at the same time, it's like, okay, you take him off that team. I mean, you have such a, you almost have like the, um, like the Tony Allen liability of like Rocco. Not, not nearly as bad, obviously, because he can make corner threes. But at the same time, it's like, if he ever gets the ball in his hands, just like, he doesn't, he doesn't, he can't do anything. Like he has to, it's almost like Redick. It's like. If it's not off a screen or open three, it's not worth anything for them to touch it almost. Yeah, but Jimmy Butler is a free agent in the summer, so he could just walk away from Philly. That's so where, yeah, that's the where Sixers I was would be out of Jimmy Butler, and obviously they traded for him to get Rocco and Sarge, so they could basically be out of all three guys 
and potentially Tobias Harris at the end of the season. And there's a real possibility that happens too, right? I mean, we've talked about all these New York, LA conspiracy theories, and Jimmy Butler kind of rears his head in some of those. That would be really a shame if that happened to Philly, kind of seeing as they've pretty much gone all in at this point to try and win this year. It feels like they're just like one year too young, you know? It feels kind of like the first Miami year or like one of those thunder years where it was, all right, Ben, this is your quarter. All right, Embiid, this is your corner. All right, Butler, this is your quarter. And they haven't quite figured out how to gel it together where it doesn't seem like that all the time. And, And one of those contributors, I think, is... And maybe this is a unpopular opinion, but it might be the coaching. I mean, maybe you get, I mean, look what happened with Giannis. You know, they lost Jason Kidd, they got Budenholzer, and that team looks like it's clicking magically all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think, I don't want to say Brett Brown's awful, because I don't think he's really that bad, but maybe the star power talent management isn't his thing. You know, maybe it's more of a Eric Spolster thing, you know, or some of these other guys maybe it's like a popovich type thing you know and and i think that's a reasonable you know knock against them especially when it comes to clutch minutes in the playoffs it's interesting that you bring up spo since jimmy butler one of his potential free agent targets could be miami even though they're beyond fucked for cap space but jimmy could be in south beach in six months time True, but he does have a house in LA, so let's not forget about that one. What did you make up of the Embiid Horford matchup round four? Looks like Embiid is pretty unstoppable, except when he's being guarded by Horford. And even then, he looks pretty unstoppable. I mean, the dude got to the line 21 free throws attempts, I think, that game. Yeah, yeah. He, he himself got to the line 21 times. Boston as a team got there 16 times, and then Philly as a team got there 43 times. So, like that's you know, the star power for you. Advantage was all all Philly. Now you gotta you gotta remember that uh, you know they didn't have Aaron Baines for most of this game. You know, Marcus Smart was out half the game. Oh, yeah, well, <laughs> actually, yeah. Let's talk about this Marcus Smart thing. And, and and Nathaniel Tice wasn't there too, so they didn't really have bodies to throw at Embiid like you would in a normal playoff series. Is Marcus Smart on his way to being Draymond 2.0 in the playoffs? Where he basically costs his Boston team a championship? Dude, I think he already was Draymond 2.0. <laughs> like, flashback to the um, funeral game, Celtics-Wizards. Yeah. I mean, part of that's Marcus Smart, kind of this underdog, pushy-shovey... You know, grit and yeah, kind of guy. I mean, even last year at Game 7 Eastern Conference Finals, they kept letting Marcus Smart shoot threes at the end of the game instead of just giving the ball to Jason Tatum or Terry Rozier. And even in when they played the Cavs a couple years ago, I mean, it's it's a, it's like the good and the bad of Marcus Smart. You know, he's he's like so passionate and such like a thug at times that you almost have to live with it. Did you think he should have been ejected or just given like a flagrant one or what'd you make of the, the whole scenario? 
Well, I think what doesn't help is the Embiid chicken wing that you really see on the replay that you couldn't really see on as the game was playing out. I guess, but I mean... That kind of stuff happens all the time, though. Like, yeah, exactly. And it's like... Illegal screens with the butt sticking out, the chicken wings, I mean, the arm bars. Well, it's like, that kind Boston of shit happens has, all the Boston time. Boston has fucking Al Horford, who's like the sneaky, dirtiest player in the league. So, I mean, it's right to be upset at that, but at the same time, you don't know what was said to lead up to that. We know both of those players are kind of trash-talky at times. Uh, yeah, beat and definitely ask Andre Drummond. <laughs> Do you think this this game would have been better if Ben Simmons had fought Marcus Smart instead of Embiid, or if Marcus Smart had pushed Ben Simmons? I feel like Ben Simmons would have been like far more fiery about it. Like Embiid's kind of a chill guy, so he just kind of takes the the shove and just kind of crashes to the ground. And, I think you should I mean, have shot Jimmy up, Butler, but... man. That would have been the fight. Oh fuck yeah, that would have been great. Malice in the palace. Let's go. <laughs> uh, what'd you make of Kyrie versus his teammates, I guess? Because basically the narrative for the last three months has been, is Kyrie going to be on this team? Is he going to help out his teammates? Is he going to be a great leader? He's not on this team anymore. I, he, <laughs> You're out? I've You're already out. shipped him off. I, you, you, what you see with this, in, I think even like the commentators mention it now, Like I think once a game is... This team is a reflection of Kyrie's mood every night. You can tell when he's kind of in a malaise and not really into it that he kind of just plays on his own. Nobody moves around. The ball sticks with him. And then when he's, like, happy, he's got 36-12, and 12 and they win the game. It looks like they were the team last year. So. And Tobias Harris. Is he an inefficient player or an efficient player? I can't really make heads or tail of... Tobias Harris, the sixer. I, I've never really ever made heads of tails with Tobias Harris. Like he's always been a tweener for me at like the three four, and I've never felt confident enough for him to be like the guy on like a play. Like I could see him running a play for him or like him being open because of a play, but him like running the show, like kind of in this everybody gets a quarter type offense that Philly has. I'm not, I don't see Tobias in that. I think he fits in really well with the rest of them playing off of them, but I just don't think him as a standalone is, is that amazing. That didn't really answer your question at all, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I just, I'm not sure if he's going to help or hurt this team in the playoffs. I want to say he helps them because he's not going to take a ton of shots. And he seems like he takes high quality shots that are either kind of off the block a little bit or threes. And he seems like the ball moves when it's in his hands. But for some reason that hasn't kind of sped up this team like he also seems like a bit of a slower player whereas ben simmons likes to get out and transition and really kind of let the ball fly yeah and you you gotta remember he's still relatively new to the team i mean he's only been there what 15 20 games now like that's still pretty new and he kind of fits that you know marquis marcus morris role in a sense you know if both of those players were up for guys i'm sure philly would take one of them you know uh, the Spurs played Golden State, and 
the Spurs won that game, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, that means the Spurs now have 22 seasons of having a winning record. That's not a prediction that we had at the beginning of the year. I think we lost that bet. Yeah, I think we had them like ninth, tenth, like just outside the playoff spot. Yeah, so this is like some dude bet like fifteen grand that the Spurs would make the playoffs, and he's gonna get like two hundred percent on that or something, which is insane. That's awesome. I had no faith in the Spurs. I, I just, you know, I, I don't. I never had a bunch of faith in Rudy Gay. I thought LMA was finally washed up. You know, Powell's not there anymore. Um, DeRozan, you know, we've just seen him crumble time after time in playoff games. But nonetheless, they, he's made the playoffs. You know, they, all three of those guys have made the playoffs for a while. So it kind of makes sense when you think about it. And maybe they're enough of a wrench to give someone a curveball in the playoffs, especially with, you know, the most elite level playoff coaching. But mm-hmm. I'm not going to be looking forward to watching their games. I'm sorry. What do you make of Andrew Bogut coming back to the Warriors? So this means a couple things to me. And getting quite a bit of playing time with Boogie basically being so awful on defense. So a big thing here to me is that, well, you know, we've seen a Boogie kind of be a playthrough guy in a couple of these games and we've seen it's had very mixed results whether it's his energy whether it's his actual conditioning uh not being able to play him the full amount of a game uh, but at the same time i think it's part of a chemistry thing you know bogut's guy that was there in their first couple championships uh pretty solid defensively okay playmaker um never really a huge offensive guy but nonetheless had some good spots Know some of the plays already. Obviously knows a lot of the cast and crew. But Boogie can totally walk this summer. And Bogut's at least a guy that they can count on to fill in starting minute spots for him. Depending on a matchup. Depending on if Boogie walks or not. Depending on if Draymond walks or not. Depending on if Kevin Durant walks or not. And he's better than Kevon Looney. I mean... Yeah, what do you make of Bogut being insurance against Jokic, Capella, Steven Adams? I would say Nurkic, but we'll get to Nurkic in a minute here. But basically insurance against some of the uh, big guys in the West. Do you think it's, it's basically kind of like a playoff matchup kind of move? I think it's a little bit of that. I think it's a little more of a red flag policy for the Warriors kind of playing to their outs so to speak you know you think um i would say nurkic would probably be his best matchup but obviously that's not going to happen anymore because like guys like Jokic are just gonna play make around him going coast to coast at two miles per hour at 300 pounds or like guys like Embiid, you know Boogie's never been like a huge defensive presence. I mean, you know, let's go back to this time in the Pelicans. He had some moments, but a lot of times he also just got burned like pretty substantially. And, you know, maybe he's not that good as he used to be in terms of that. I mean, we, we still haven't really gotten the verdict on if Boogie's 
100% back from that Achilles. I mean, he's obviously been playing for a little while now, and it seems like it's there, but numbers-wise, there hasn't been a ton of, hey, he's as good as he used to be, you know? Do you think Sean Livingston and Iggy can keep carrying the second unit? It seems like now more than ever that disparity between the all-star starters and that second uh, rotation seem to be that gap seems to be pretty huge now. I think that's part of the reason why you got Boogie, right? So now you've got like a three-man center rotation of like Draymond, Boogie, and Bogut that you could like count on at the four slash five spot no matter what set of guards and wings are out there, right? Like, I, I don't count on Kevon Looney. I'm sorry. Those other, I mean, Draymond, you don't count on him to shoot, but you do count on, like, your offense to keep running the right way. You know, you've got at least some defensive threat, you know, that kind of stuff. And I think it's really important to not be constricted to, oh, well, we either have Boogie in or we have Bogut in. And... Neither of those seem great from a pick and roll defense perspective. So, um, I don't. I don't think uh, John and Iggy are. They shouldn't be enough anymore. But I kind of think they still are, which is weird to say. But so Nurkic is out with basically a season-ending leg snap. Um, he's out of it for the playoffs, and right now it's CJ McCollum. He's still out, right? He probably won't be back until the second round, maybe late first round. They're saying he can play in the first, but there's no way he's going to be hundred percent. Okay, so I mean, basically, this team is now down to Lillard, Seth Curry, Ennis Cantor, Evan Turner, Jake Layman. Lyman, yeah, Enos Cantor. Um, does Portland make it to the second round? Oh my gosh, this is the saddest news of this week. Is is Portland and Nurkic? I mean, just how quickly it can go from oh yeah, we're like a kind of a dark horse Western Finals candidate to now we're probably going to lose in the first round. Like that's such a, a steep stair to fall down. That's such a rough injury too. Like, oh god, that was brutal. I'm I'm really concerned that Dame's gonna score like 50 every game and they're gonna lose. Yeah, I think the template for Portland to win has to be Willard putting up like 35 points, six rebounds, and like 12 assists per game. Because they still have the problem of who do you pass it to on that team, and now that's gone down by two of your best options. It's... Yeah, as well, as well as like what's happening with Zach Collins and Evan Turner. I mean, Myers Leonard's still there; he's solid. I mean, you got Ennis Cantor. This could be his breakout year. Yeah, pick and roll, pick and roll, pick and roll. It kind of reminds me of like the LeBron Cavs, where Kyrie and Kevin Love both went out together. It's like, what do you do now? You're going to play, you know, Tristan Thompson for 48 minutes a game. And I mean, they got to the finals. Yeah, I just, I don't know how to put, so. It's sad because I wanted to put money on Portland to like win. This might be the most disheartening injury 
This was almost this the year season. where we had no like big injuries in the playoffs that were going to really impact things. Yeah, well, I mean, some other injuries that are kind of here and there. Miritich is going to be out for a few weeks. Brogdon is still out. DiVincenzo. And I'm, I'm going to go ahead and pencil in George Hill here. So the Bucks lineup could get pretty thin here going into the playoffs. Yeah, it's really sad. Uh, Brogdon, of course, has like the longest wait of all those three. And he was on that 50-40-90 yeah. uh, pursuit. And Meritich has a broken thumb, which is not very fun to deal with. Um, I mean, luckily, they'll, they'll all be back before the finals, which would be great. But there's a reasonable chance you don't get there without all those players. And then Kyle Lowry, I think, had an ankle roll. He got an ankle sprain. And he's kind of, you know, pretty important cog in that Toronto team if I, you know, I assume Kawhi's going to be fresh for the playoffs since they've rested him so much. But kind of overplaying Kawhi in the playoffs without Lowry as insurance. And if you give a matchup for with Philly, if you match up with Philly, you better have Kyle Lowry there. Yeah, I mean, basically what I'm saying is I think there's a roadmap where Boston gets to the final somehow <laughs> just because the Bucks and the Raptors have injury problems. And then Indiana obviously has their injury problems with Oladipo. And then... Philly, I mean, that team might just completely fall apart, and it's like, boom, there you go. Celtics are going to be in the fucking finals. Yeah, there's. I think this is one of the few years where it feels like you can make like a decent, like not unreasonable storyline for how each of the top five teams in both conferences makes it to the finals. It feels like, you know, last year obviously didn't feel like that at all. And the LeBron years didn't feel like that at all, but and who knows? I mean, you know, think back to last year. Chris Paul goes out in game four, four five in Houston. Five, I mean, yeah, yeah, the end of game five, yeah. And we said that basically changed the course of history. I mean, geez, like people can get injured during the playoffs too. Uh, yeah, um, I guess the one of the last game recaps, and then we'll we'll kind of jump into some playoff, you know, in depth talk. Brooklyn played Sacramento in what might have been one of the most fun league pass games in years. Which is weird to say. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely not a marquee matchup by anyone's standard. No, but Brooklyn came back from this 28-point deficit. D'Angelo Russell had 27 points in the fourth quarter, outscoring the entire Sacramento team. And it was just this awesome like duel between D'Angelo Russell and Darren Fox and uh, these two teams. Like, you know, Brooklyn's going to be in the playoffs, but they're probably going to slide down to the kind of seven or eight spot, which isn't favorable for getting the second round. And then the Kings are obviously probably going to end up in ninth in the West. But, you know, everyone's kind of buying stock in the nets to as like a fun playoff team to watch. Like they're a little hot right now too. Like I can I think totally they have to get, get the matchup. I think if they play Philly, I think they get murdered. If they play Giannis, I think they get murdered. Toronto, there's, you think there's if they play way. Philly, they get murdered. Yeah. I think, I think Ben Simmons. Oh yeah. Destroys this damn team. Yeah, like, but D'Angelo just... would have like 40 and 15 every night though. I don't know, because Ben Simmons is 
underrated on defense. And then you have Joel Embiid, and it's like, who the fuck matches up against Joel Embiid? Mr. Block himself, Jared Allen? Are you <laughs> kidding me? Bruh. <laughs> Come on. And they're super up-tempo, which is, like, really fun to watch, I guess. Yeah, but I think that's why it would backfire against Ben Simmons. Yeah, Because Ben true. Simmons likes to play fast. Yeah, those transition coast-to-coasts. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to watch a couple games of them, though. It'd be more fun to watch Miami for, like, the 17th year in a row. Do you think if Marvin Bagley uh, III hadn't been injured, Sacramento gets that ace spot instead of uh, the Clippers? Absolutely, maybe. Uh, Bagley three was pretty freaking good when he was playing. And I feel like Sacramento has more star power than the Clippers. I I don't know about that. Like, that's kind of up in the air to me. Uh, the big part's Buddy Heald, though. I mean, supposedly this is his breakout year, and he's just been kind of on a cold slump these past three weeks or so. Yeah, not a good combination of Bagley being injured and then Buddy Heald uh, going on a bit of a slide. And uh, speaking of slides, currently uh, this is Tuesday, March 26th, right around 7 p.m. Eastern time, and the Thunder sit in the eighth spot. They have slid from third all the way down to eighth, although they are only four games from the Rockets in third. What's going on with the Thunder? Why are they sliding at the wrong time? Well, they they did just lose four in a row, as you said. Part of that was, I think Paul George was out a game and half a game, like a game and a half, and then... uh, other than that, I don't quite know, to be honest. How, how healthy do you think Paul George is? He does not look 100%. Yeah, I'm I'm a little concerned. I mean, this guy was third in MVP talks, I guess, for a couple minutes there. Yeah, I think Jokic has uh, bumped him off, especially if Jokic and Denver currently sit second in the West, half a game behind the Warriors. I think Jokic would probably take that Paul George third spot. But here's the real question is, are the Nuggets going to push for number one? I would almost just rest people at this point. I don't know. I think for the Nuggets, I think, yeah, you'd want home court advantage because I want to believe that the Spur, the Spur, oh, sorry. I want to believe that the Thunder will move out of the eighth spot. And either the Clippers or the Spurs will fall into eighth. And if the Nuggets get the Spurs in the first round, I think that's good for the Nuggets. As well as I think it's going to be hard for teams to play in Denver in high altitude. You know, a team like the Warriors, they do a lot of running. Rockets, they like to play with a lot of, you know, running as well, like Capella. Yeah, I mean, I I like to see the Nuggets do well, but... You know, they're all unproven guys right now. I mean, they didn't make the playoffs last year off the playing game. And arguably, they would have put up a better fight than the Timberwolves did. But at the same time, I mean, like, they run like a 10-man rotation. Their best player is a center that's not even a scorer. I mean, they throw such a big loop on top of the arena it feels like this team could get swept or could sweep somebody and just like 
I don't know. It's like the most volatile team, I think. The uh, 3-6 matchup in the West currently is Houston and Clippers. This is great. I would love to see this. <laughs> Get Chris Paul on the revenge tour and then have Patrick Beverly guard him and Harden. And then you got the Montrez Harrell moments. Ooh. Not to mention the Doc versus Austin Rivers matchup. And uh, Lou Williams revenge tour against the Rockets. Wow, yeah, I forgot. And then that means that the 4-5 matchup would be Jazz at Portland. And this changes entirely with Nurkic being out. Yeah, so the Jazz are like the sneaky dark horse now that Portland is all but a skeleton. Uh, when you look at some of the advanced numbers, some of like the really analytic-based guys are like, yeah, the Jazz might be sleeper tier, like Western Conference Finals type team. Yeah, I mean, I just think by eye test, you know, Rudy Gobert just completely destroys that Portland front court on both I, sides of the ball. Yeah, they just play so uniquely too. Like it, you might say, Donovan's like their only ISO guy, but that hasn't really been a problem for them. I mean, they had some dark times at the beginning of the year, but it was mostly just due to like really staggered injuries. I mean, Rubio was out a lot, and then Gobert was out a lot, or Donovan was out a lot. Uh, and if they're all together like they are now, and they've been on a little bit of a hot streak here, I mean, they're 7-3, and three, they've won two in a row. I mean, they could definitely... I think they're a pretty good Warriors matchup, too. Like, I, honestly, I would take the Jazz as a pretty good matchup against any of these Western teams. Yeah, the Jazz are kind of interesting because they're a lot like the Warriors in that they have the team ball mentality with Rubio and Joe Ingles, but then you have that ISO backup plan, kind of plan B is just give the ball to Donovan Mitchell, just like how the Warriors kind of have plan B is just give the ball to Kevin Durant. We, you know, we've seen this in game three of last year's finals and the finals before that, where it's just the Kevin Durant game. Yeah, And it feels a lot like that where, if they need Donovan Mitchell just to close out the last four minutes of a game, he can do it. Hopefully he doesn't go cold. Well, you know, hopefully he's more Durant and less Westbrook. I mean, they, you know, they beat the Thunder last year. Nobody really expected that. They did a pretty okay job against Houston. I mean, I think everybody expected them to lose that one, but it was still close. Um and they kept basically their whole team together. So if anything, they've got like the chemistry points in terms of same guys, been proven, done it before, know what it needs to do to get there again. And they're totally fine not being like the public eye favorite. I think their worst matchup is probably Houston, so I would avoid that one if I was them. But I mean, you're you're tied with the Clippers right now. You're, I mean, you're one game back from seven and eight. So, I mean, you still got to win these games. Like, you can't take your foot off the gas until the the season's over. Uh, let's look at some teams that are outside of the playoff picture, but could, you know, they, they were just on the verge of kind of getting it. Uh, what does Minnesota need to do over the summer to get back in the playoff picture? Yeah, so they really uh, dropped out pretty substantially here. Since the all-star break call anthony towns though playing like a man on a mission to get his 30 million dollars if he makes all nba 
yeah, and he might make it in over LeBron, even though they don't really play the same spot. Uh, I think the big problem here is you lost Derrick Rose so for a lot of time here recently, and that has been a huge impact in your wins column. I mean, he was the most integral part of that team in terms of uh, scoring on the perimeter, isolation plays, pick and roll plays, especially once you lost Butler. And of course, I've never been a fan of Teague to begin with. Uh, so you really need to get Rose back and healthy this is your key. And then you need to flip the best tandem value pair in the league, Roko and Sarge, into a star. Those two are never not going to be on the same team. <laughs> are they? Can they really attract anybody in Minnesota, though? Because Minnesota also doesn't really have a coach. Yeah, this is the other problem, isn't it? Um, not, a, not a great owner, not a really great GM. Yeah, I'm not really sure who they could attract. It just feels like they have to be really strategic on who they draft. In this, you know, in a draft that's not very deep. Who knows? Maybe they'll f do some flipping. Maybe this is the year you flip cat for somebody. Oh shit! You think they'll just let Cat go? I mean, they did it to Kevin Love. Uh, they did it to Rubio. I mean, yeah, but at least with Kevin Love, they traded away Kevin Love and they got back Andrew Wiggins and Cat. Like they got back. You got back one <laughs> trap and one not trap. I mean, yeah, but you can't like at least they knew with Carl Anthony Towns. Like that's a guy who will not be a bust in the NBA. You could, you, I mean, I'm not saying it's uh, not an option. I mean, there's no clause that Cat is going to stay there. He could totally max out this year. They could trade him to some team like, I don't know, I don't know where Cat would want to go, but you could steal like two first-round picks for the next two years or something, you know. So you think they should just go to rebuild? Kind of, sort of. I mean, you don't have a coach now. You don't really have any sort of flow going. You need to figure out a way to ditch Wiggins to recoup some cash, and that's like a rebuild plan. So I'm sorry, Timberwolves fans, but we're, we're all out on you ever since you lost the Bulls. I don't know. I think they have to do what Washington has done and just in Miami and just ride out the salary nightmare, the contract nightmare, and hopefully by – the midpoint of next decade, they can smile a little bit more. Uh, should Sacramento just run it back to try to make the playoffs next year? Yes. I would like to see Sacramento get like a really powerful center to pair with Marvin Bagley, like um, maybe one that's like shoots threes and is like really good at driving in the cup. Uh, so Cat, you think they should just have... No, actually, I was thinking Boogie. Boogie guys. <laughs> so Kentucky guys. Yeah, yeah. They need they need a Kentucky center. Uh what about Nerland's Noel? No, no way. You don't think so? Are you kidding me? As no, a centerpiece he... to your offense? With him, Bagley, Darren Fox, Buddy Heel, that's a lot of that's a lot of speed. Hmm. I'm not, am I not going to be able to sell you on the New Orleans You're not going to sell me on New Orleans Noel, the Kings. All right. What does Charlotte need to do over the summer? Whoa, 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 whoa. Besides keeping Kemba. Okay, we're just switching to the East here. 
Uh, Charlotte needs to obviously sell Jeremy Lamb while he's hot. <laughs> Dude just shot the dumbest game winner I think I've seen all year. Loses the ball on the inbounds and just throws it up there. Uh, what's going on with Tony Parker? Is he just not playing anymore? I think, do you remember when Dwayne Wade went to Chicago and then Cleveland and he was just kind of on his buffet tour? It kind of feels like that with Tony Parker. He's just kind of showing up, getting his money, playing his 20 minutes, checking out, Can't going back home. Checks. <laughs> yeah, watching some Netflix. Like That dude looks ready for the big three. I mean, I've, I've watched Tony in the big three. Uh, yeah, they, I mean, you know, I've heard claims that Charlotte should part with Kemba and they should start over again. And as much as I don't want that to be the real thing that they do, it kind of makes sense. Like it, if it feels like an Anthony Davis scenario where he never got any help. Yeah, but he like the Hornets are not trying to tank. Like that was very clear this year. They were not trying to tank. So they don't even have a good lottery pick. Like, how do they build? Like, who are they going to build this team around? Malik Monk? I don't. Is he even <laughs> worth building around? Like, is he even good? I don't know. Cody Zeller? I mean, it's... <laughs> like, I don't know. Maybe you try and get like Julius Randle and like, I don't know. Maybe you try and snipe somebody <laughs> off the Lakers. Like, it just feels like there's no good way to to make this team work. And obviously, it's Batum's fault. But I mean, this is something we got to address as Charlotte fan base. Like, what do we want? I mean, we do obviously want to win, but, like, how do we even get there? Do you think Kemba will declare his free agent intentions, you know, July 1st? Or do you think he'll kind of give it 10 days, see what the Hornets can come up with, see if they can pull like a miraculous Bradley Beal trade and, you know, maybe then that'll entice Kemba to, to re-sign. Do you think Kemba bolts as soon as, as soon as it's midnight? Or do you think he kind of waits like 10 days, see what Hornets plan is, and then if they have nothing, then he, then he leaves? I'm kind of surprised he hasn't run this pre-agency deal that like Davis and Kawhi and Paul George have, and maybe he's seen all that and not done it intentionally. Cause he's, you know, he's an all-star this year. He's probably going to be all NBA. Like he's up for a super max if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, but Kemba isn't quite like a super all-star like 80 and Kawhi are like 80 Kawhi are MVP candidates. Kemba hasn't really hit that height yet. He's very much like Dave. Where it's like underrated star, not quite MVP star. Yeah, but but at the same time, you know, the problem with these small markets is it doesn't seem they can keep the talent. So you've got to overpay the talent to stay there. You know, like that's your bargaining chip is, hey, we can give you 50 million more bucks than New York can or something like that. Yeah, but I don't think it's the money. That's the problem. I think it's the fact that these small markets are making dumbass decisions. Oh yeah, I agree. But I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. as the in the negotiating realm, like that's where the trade off is. It's like, all right, I can stay with the team I currently am, or oh, the organization I'm currently with, and make fifty million more bucks, 
which is the whole reason they had this they put the supermax in the cba right was so that talent in the small markets would be inclined to stay there through money so i think the whole i think there's a reasonable chance you know somebody tries to pick him up somewhere that doesn't get Kyrie or maybe they prefer him instead of Kyrie for some reason it's kind of that tier 2 New York deal you know we say it's like KD and Kyrie but what if it's like Butler Kemba plus one you know ooh that's that's sad for the Knicks fans it is but it's a reasonable (laughs) Knicks Knicks thing to do Yeah. Uh, who should coach the Lakers next year I am assuming Luke Wallen will be let go at the end of the season. Who do you think should come in? Rumor says Jason Kidd. Oh, fuck that, dude. Are you serious? That's that's the rumor going around. Cowboy. Did they not watch Milwaukee, like any Milwaukee games for the past two years? Hey, another rumor I've heard is, uh, what's his name? Uh, Byron Scott, you know, some of those other old Lakers guys. And even Tyron losing the conversation. Oh, man. Also a former Laker. It's like, huh, makes a lot of sense. Connects a lot of dots. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being absolute and 1 being not even a fucking chance, what are the Lakers' chances of getting Doc Rivers to jump ship? Like three? Yeah, that sounds about right. Like, I, I think Doc's found his home. Yeah, I think once Doc let go of the whole GM-coach combo and just gave us Jerry West and realized, oh, shit, we just traded away our best player and we're still going to make the playoffs. And not maybe not even as an eight seed, maybe as, like, a six seed. It's fucking crazy. I think, um, it went, you know, we, they, we there's this trend going around of, like, oh, you know, what team – uh, are you more optimistic about? It's like the Lakers, the you know the Clippers, the Knicks, or the Nets. It's like everyone picks the Clippers and the Nets, which is like crazy. It's like no, I'm picking fucking LeBron. <laughs> I'm still going to pick LeBron as. I just mean in terms of competent franchises with potentially good futures. Well, I mean, you know, uh, you know, I'm a Jerry West kind of guy. You know, I ride hard for Jerry West as a GM. That's true. I'm on the Montrez Harrell bandwagon. Like, <laughs> that dude needs to get some money somewhere. Also, SGA, like, the Hornets should have kept SGA. Yeah. Looking back, SGA and Kemba probably would have carried that team to the playoffs. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that would be a really good thing to look over, too, is those middle draft trades that nobody's paying attention to anymore. Like the uh, Jair Smith to phoenix i think that philly did to get somebody else uh, back. was it miles bridges mikhail bridges yeah the Luke other bridges or, right yeah yeah i guess well neither one really got any playing time so i guess it's kind of hard to do kind of the one for one on that one um i guess let's let's wrap up with some what, what how's your march madness bracket doing all right so course the past couple days uh plenty of march madness games have happened and plenty of upsets have happened we are now in we will go into what the round of 16 next yes we are in the round of 16 and sweet 16 
we have been pretty successful to be honest in terms of our bracket we missed probably the biggest one that everybody missed but let's just go through what we got right now so we've got uh duke versus virginia tech we got that one right uh also in the east we have michigan state versus lsu we got that one right i picked maryland you picked lsu so i'm counting yours uh and then in the Western bracket, we have Gonzaga and Florida State. This was the one that we got the most wrong. We were all on the John Moran bandwagon. Yeah, we should have known that the ACC is much stiffer competition than Ohio Valley Conference. Yeah, that, so that was kind of a rough rough pill to swallow, but yeah, I'm just not a Florida State I would fan. still ride with John Moran. That dude can fucking ball. I want to see like a number one pick win a college championship that doesn't have a stacked team. Yeah, you know, that would that would have been the John Morant story. <laughs> what a what a completely loaded type of question. <laughs> uh, and then we have Texas Tech versus Michigan. Uh, that's that's like a sneaky like if you're really into college hoops, that's like the game to watch. That's pretty much straight chalk though. That's like the league pass kind of game. Like, minus the Murray State Marquette upset, that whole side, oh, I guess Syracuse and Baylor, but that's almost straight chalk. And then Midwest, we've got UNC versus Auburn. I think most people got the Auburn-Kansas one wrong, uh, as did we. We actually had New Mexico State coming out of that one uh, <laughs> as our upset. <laughs> Why the fuck did we pick New Mexico State again? Is there like um, some dude? Is there some dude who's gonna be like in the draft? Yeah, they're, they're, I can't remember exactly, but uh, as you can see, they only lost by Auburn to one point, so it definitely could have been there. Uh, and then at the bottom half of that one's Houston and Kentucky. Now we had Wofford beating Kentucky, which is a little <laughs> unfortunate. Uh, but it was a close game. Like it was actually a really good game. Uh, the dude just went. They like as jump shooting teams do. They can just go historically cold in a important game and lose just like Houston. Yeah, it seems like basically the way it sh- shook in out, shaked out is based shaked out, shook out, shook out. Yeah, Shake let's go shook out. Yeah, it looks like a lot of the teams left are all the historical uh, like powerhouse kind of schools. And maybe the one team that you should be rooting for is in the South Bracket. Oregon, let's go, Mighty Ducks. Yeah, Oregon versus UVA. That is that is the game I'm going to watch. Um, the Hot Ash Cheerleaders versus the KKK. That's a 1 versus a 12. So Oregon has got the lowest seeding that's still left. Then we have Purdue, Tennessee, which uh, I had Purdue going really far, so I'm going to root for Purdue as well. And so we've actually only missed, I guess, two matchups in this round of 16, which I guess isn't terrible. Um, That's pretty good, considering I think total we have watched four college games. Yeah, I actually haven't watched any of these games. uh, Yeah, I don't think I've seen a single March Madness game. Um, I saw the NC State NIT games, though. I'll tell you that. Boy, that sounds rough. Yeah, the last college game I watched was uh, NC State... Clemson in the ACC tournament. Yeah, so, so uh, they're playing. I'm gonna, the I'm gonna leave with my memory of NC State winning. Dude, they beat Harvard in the NIT at Reynolds. Yeah, but we're not even like a number one seed, right? I think we're number two. Yeah, but we we like should win this fucking tournament. Like, I, I know UNCG is like 
also one of the better teams in 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 the draw. But come on, like we should. I just think it's cool they're playing at Reynolds. Oh, and of course, uh, what we need to do is uh, I'll be all hyped for the women's NCAA where NC State is also killing it. Also, way better tournament play by the women's teams than the men's teams. Like just in terms of basketball aesthetics. Yes, absolutely. Not not the right kind of aesthetics. <laughs> and with that, we will uh, conclude this Harder Than Paint podcast, episode number 38 for this March 26th, uh, 2019. We hope you all enjoyed, and if you would love to leave us a question, a comment, or a concern of any sort, please do so in the description below or in the direct messages or in our emails provided and uh, we'd like to of course give another shout out to red rocks for sponsoring this episode of Run the paint podcast and our question for you the viewers this week is which episode of our podcast do you think is our best episode let us know it's uh kind of kind of cool to see what what people think about this i have my personal favorites uh but we've also done a ton of these so it's interesting to see where people lie and our bonus round segment for the day you weren't expecting this one, Michael, is did you hear that the uh, NASA all-woman spacewalk got canceled because they didn't oh, have... Oh, the spacesuit, yes. They didn't have enough medium spacesuits yep. on the uh, space station for the for the ladies, the ladies in I white. Did. I did. I, too, scroll through BBC News in the morning. Yeah, so uh, the reason I have this on here is because uh, people are saying NASA is sexist now. Which is, I love how we've entered the world where just everything is fucking offensive, just without any type of context. It's just everything. The, the the part I like, I like this take of, oh man, even uh, women can't escape the patriarchy in space. It's like, are you guys kidding me? So I actually read into the story behind this, and apparently what happened was Elon is, Musk. Please tell me Elon Musk factors into this. No, so. Of course, our NC State graduate, Christina Hammond, picked yep, the same spacesuit uh, in training that you would want on the spaceship. Uh, and, but the second lady uh, is like an in-between size, and mm. it turns out that the size that she was working with was a large, but she, they decided that that was too cumbersome or too big for her. Uh, so they decided to down like that she should have a medium. However, there isn't two mediums on the spaceship. So... Uh, she unintentionally it, dicked herself by being a woman with her clothes. Yeah, I guess it just shows that even in space, the uh, role of the uh, NBA swingman has come to an end. Absolutely. And you know, if it was two dudes that were the same size, this exact same thing would have happened. It's almost funny that... Yeah, but one of the dudes would have been black, and then NASA would have just been racist. And then the challenger would have happened. Uh, we'll see y'all next time.